Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. One, two, three, praise the Lord. Matthew chapter four. Amen. That's a great shot. What a privilege and honor it is to be here. What a greater privilege and honor it is to be part of a fellowship that disciples men. Matthew 4. You know, words are very interesting things. They're not solid. They're not unchanging. And they have the ability to take on different definitions. Words have different meanings. For example, King James words, conversation. That's not a verbal exchange, but lifestyle, what you do and how you live. Psalms, he prevents me with blessing of his goodness. And we think prevent means stop or interfere or stop doing something, but it actually means went before or anticipated. So he prevents me with blessing of his goodness means he anticipated my needs. He went before my merry and bright. It's not that meaning anymore. How many know queers have ruined that word forever? You know, the parts of the world, I've gone over there in Australia, and I preached over there, and I said thing. I, I grew up in a home, and there was an expression my mother used, and, and I said, the next time you get your fanny caught in a crack, well, fanny in Australia means a woman's vagina. That was not a good day. I used the word dyke. I said, in San Francisco, you might see a dyke, which is a hardcore lesbian. You might see a dyke driving a truck. Australians, to them, dyke is a toilet bowl, and so they're trying to figure out how a toilet bowl is driving a truck. So words, words have a way of losing their translation of meaning. You know, in Spain, the word pistola means bread. You ask somebody here for a pistola, you're going to get a gun in your face. Amen. <laughs> but one of the words that have suffered in our generation, and, and I see in the Bay Area very much, is the word disciple. Or the word discipleship, it's a very confused word in our generation. You say it to one person, it means dull, boring life, uh, you know, nothing fun anymore, smiling is illegal, you become religious, you go to church all the time, uh, and so therefore you're disciples of Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, this is one of the greatest invitations in the Bible. When he said, follow me, that's exactly what he had in mind, the greatest invitation of your life. I want to preach Matthew 4, verse 18, if you follow with me to verse 22. From the word of God. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and to his brother, cast a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to me, you fishers of men, so they immediately left their nets and followed him. From there he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat, and their father 
and followed him. Amen. I want to first talk to you about the promise discipleship holds for you and I. Listen, the great desire in every human heart God has put in every man is the desire to excel, a desire to achieve, that God has put something in us to be more than we are, becoming something more than what I'm currently experiencing now. We want to exceed. We want to attain. How many know that's not sinful? This is something God has put in every human life. Uh, Nobody wants to, uh, you know, uh, this is something God's invested in every heart to do, to excel, to achieve. That's why we love people who are winners. We want to identify with them, man. We want to pretend like we know them, even if it means wearing their team jacket, that we can say, yeah, this is winners, man. Nobody wants to be identified with losers. That's why there's no Phoenix Sun jackets in the Bay Area. It's all about the Warriors. Amen. You know what I mean? Ah. Ah, quiet. You knew what's coming. Amen. It was... Very strong. This is very strong in human nature. You know, advertisers know this is true. You go to the store, every box of Wheaties has the latest hero updated winner because they know it sells cereal. Not only cereal, but shoes and cars. Uh, Michael Jordan sells chonies with his name, for crying out loud, man. And we'll buy and to identify ourselves on some level with somebody that has done something uh, or has achieved some great feat in life. Uh, and this is a reason because God has put something in our hearts, saved or un- unsaved, it does not matter, down in your heart is a nagging feeling that there's probably, uh, you're missing something, maybe there's more than what I'm doing in partying, or more than what I'm doing, down in our hearts is that nagging feeling uh, that we're not living up to our potential, that there's something more we can do, more we can be, uh, and produce with our lives, this is just not for Christians, this is for everybody, because God had made a purpose from the very beginning, God put you and I, he made us for relationship, Uh, he made us for dominion, and he made us for purpose, uh, and it doesn't matter how life your tarnished is, how life your uh, uh, how tarnished your life has become. That is still there. That's still a moving force uh, and a power in our lives. I get tired of people talking about original sin. You ought to think about original intent of God's purpose once in a while. Because God's original purpose has not been totally erased. His original aim and his intent has not been totally destroyed. That's why we have yearning to do things, man. Yearnings to fulfill that and to have some kind of purpose. And it is only in fulfilling that purpose that you're going to ever find any rest of heart. I don't care what the army says. You're never going to be all you can be in the army. Not on your best day of your life. The best and the only place you're going to be is in following the Lord Jesus Christ and being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and he will bring you to a place uh, where you can achieve and become regardless of where you are right now. You see the promise discipleship holds for you and I is the promise of becoming something. Jesus is speaking to these men and he says follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you into something useful. He's talking here about God supplying and releasing things we do not have, what we do not have resident in ourselves. He said, if you follow me, I'm going to release things in your life. I'm going to make you useful. And if you will, and it will rid you of that nagging feeling, that nagging guilt that we're fouled up. He said, if you follow me, and I'm going to participate with you and I'm going to make you into something. You have to understand something. Jesus was speaking to these 12. He knew what he was dealing with. He wasn't in any under great delusion that these were great talented men, that in these disciples, these men had some great abilities. He knew exactly what he was dealing with, uh, exactly the material he was laboring with. Yet in spite of this, he said, this is what I'm going to do for you. 
See, genuine discipleship does not begin with a demand. You do this and you do that and you'll be my disciples. You do this, you do that. Genuine discipleship begins with a promise. He said, you follow, I'm going to make for you. You follow, I'm going to do for you. You follow, and I'm going to manifest myself. The Bible says, as many received him, to them gave he the power to become the son of God. He said, this is the investment I'm going to make in you. This is something I'm going to do for you. This is a freebie, man. This is something that I'm going to put into your life. Look at Peter. Peter gets a lot more credit than he deserves. Bible says, when he saw Peter, he said, you are Simon, son of Barjona, but you're going to be Cephas, which interpretation a stone. He says, hey, this is what you are. This is what you're going to become in me. I know what you are. I know how you are. I know what you're doing. He said, this is what you are. You are Peter, son of Barjona, yet you are going to be Cephas, a stone. I'm going to make you into something different. I'm going to make you into something better. I know what you are. I know all your weaknesses. You're a reed blown in the wind. You're a real flake. Can't count on you. Uh, Hey, but I'm going to make you into something different. I'm going to supply your lack. I'm going to make the investment. There's going to be a great change. Peter, you're going to become. See, this is not an isolated case. You find this all throughout the scripture. From beginning of the end, this is a testimony of the Bible. Abraham, 90 years old. God said, hey, first, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham. I'm going to change your name to... Father of nations. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah, I know that you're barren. I know that you're old. I know that you don't have any kids. But out of you, I'm going to draw a multitude of people because it sounds good to me. Jacob, hey, that means supplanter, liar, thief, ripoff. God says, oh, good. I'm going to change you from a liar, a ripoff, to Israel, which means prince of God. Yeah, that's what we're going to do here. I'm going to change your whole character. I'm going to change your whole nature, your entire life. That's what I'm going to do for you. Gideon, he meets, uh, God meets Gideon threshing a little wheat behind the wine press at night. This is so nobody will catch him. He's a little coward. He addresses him. He says, oh, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. I know you're hiding behind this wine press, and I know you're a little coward, but I got plans for you, Gideon. I'm going to make you a mighty man of valor. You read the story, man. He faces down the doorstep, all the priests of Baal, and you will find he takes an army of 300 men, defeats an army that's innumerable, so innumerable, he said, yeah, sure, we'll take him on, the 300 of us, no problem, bring it on. What will we use for weapons? Well, let's see, let's uh, uh, old trumpets and candles and broken vases. Yeah, let's take them on right now. We're not scared of any of them. Yeah. Book of Romans says, He calleth those things which be not as though they were. He says, This is where I'm going to take you. This is what I'm going to make. This is the investment. This is how it's going to come to pass. It's going to be a great time. You see, the real, this is the real, this is the basis of real discipleship is His promise. This is the basis of our hope. That he is going to help us and do for us things we cannot do ourselves, an investment in us, uh, things that are not there at this point in time. Paul's writing, being confident of this very thing, that he's begun a good work in you, is going to finish it, continue it. He's going to make it happen until the day that Jesus Christ comes back. He that begun a good work in you is going to finish that good work in you. He's going to perform that good work in you till that day Jesus comes again. Thessalonians, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, body be preserved blameless uh, till the coming of our Lord. Faithful is he that calls you, uh, and faithful. Faithful is he who also will do it. 
He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the investment. Uh, I'll make up the slack. I'll make up the lack. I'm going to put things in you. I'm going to call things out of you that do not exist in you uh, at, at this present moment. You know, so many people get discouraged, you know. They say, yeah, I can't do this, man. No way I can live for God. I don't know if I can obey. I know what I am. I know what's in me, man. I know my weaknesses. I know what my faults are and my failings are. Man, look at my track record, man. It's a track record that's not very impressive. And God says, yeah, I know too. And I'm saying, if you follow me, I'm going to make the investment in you. I'm going to make the deposit in you. I'm going to put things in you. That's right, that you don't have. I'm going to help you. I'm going to put strength in you that you do not have or do not exist in you at this moment. If you will follow me, I'm going to make you, develop you, and perform these things in you. It's his promise. Let's consider, secondly, the challenge of discipleship. You know, there's been an error in the word discipleship in our generation. It's kind of become a popular word in some circles and mega church and, and church world. It's, it's interpreted as personal growth. It's interpreted as spiritual maturity. And the real emphasis in discipleship in most circles uh, is instruction. That if you're being instructed, you're coming to a place of maturity and somehow that constitutes being a disciple if you're being instructed and you know some things, uh, now therefore you become a disciple. And so it kind of gives you an insight on how people think disciples are made. Uh, people think making disciples, uh, and even pastors, we can make this sake, is, is, is just instructing them. That's all there is, man. Uh, if you can get information to them, uh, if you can impart understanding to them, that somehow that's what it means to be a disciple. Memorize this. Uh, memorize Memorize that, and you got that memorized? Well, you're ready to be sent out. Yeah, because now we can quote the whole book of Romans. Yeah, which is good, but quoting scripture does not make you a disciple. Problem, what begins to happen? I like what this one man said. He says, we begin to focus on ourselves and not focusing on what we're supposed to be focusing on. And he says, we get this disease called coinonitis. Koinonia is the word for biblical fellowship, sharing with others. But we get koinonitis. We get so ingrown with our little group, uh, study our knowledge with whom we know and what we've come up with uh, that we don't do anything at all. You see, real discipleship is a challenge to winning. This portion of scripture said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Not memorizers of scriptures. In, this descript in the scripture here, he defines the nature of real discipleship. He said, if you follow me, I'm going to make you into fishers of men. Not a walking encyclopedia, not a concordance. I'm going to make you into something useful, into fishers of men. I'm going to make you into a witness. And this is the very uh, uh, nature of the relationship as he defines it here. He says, I'm not going to make you into something little club where you can hang out and be spiritual with each other. I'm not perfecting and instructing you to put you on display for the admiration of all how well you quote scripture so people can look at you with awe and wonder at the perfect specimen that God has made. No. It, to be a disciple in Jesus' eyes means we become involved with what he's involved with. That means we make his business our business. That means he said, I came for one reason. To seek and save that which is lost. That's what he came to do, man. And to be his disciple means you enter into the same thing. He says, from now on, you're not going to fish for fish anymore. No, from now on, I'm going to teach you how to catch men, how to reach the lost. I'm going to make you partners in my enterprise. I'm going to make you co-laborers with me, what I've come on the planet Earth to do. I'm going to build skills and the ability in you to reach men and touch lives and see them brought into the kingdom of, kingdom of God. I'm going to make you fishers of men labors in the harvest field 
You know, if you're going to be a fisher, you have to deal with some misconceptions. Mostly we think about fishing. How many know we think about recreational activities? I know I do isolated somewhere in the mountains, you know, out on the ocean at the pier, you know, fishing nice day. Or, or you know, like ESPN, you know, Bubba and Charlie, you know, they got a bass boat as big as a Cadillac, you know, a tackle box as big as this pulpit. And, you know, they're out there in the wilderness, you know, and, and, you, know, and you know what's bothers you? I don't know if you've ever seen that fishing channel. And they catch a fish, big five-pound bass, and then they throw it back. How many know nobody in their right mind throws it back? You cook it up that night. If, if, you, if you are serious about fishing, you eat them. You know, it's like, oh, we're just out here. Bubba, how you doing? Great, Charlie. Yeah, we're just out here catching this big bass, and we just let them go. Yeah, so that's what this whole thing is about, Bubba. Yeah, just being one in nature and everything. You know, this is one, it's just wonderful. And so, you know, we got this idea that fishing is like kicking back on a pier or on the beach shore, you know, falling asleep. We haven't even noticed that, you know, the ocean has pushed our line up at our feet, you know, and, and uh, just getting a tan. Somehow it's like it's all recreation, but you see, that's not, it meant, that's not what it meant to Jesus. Fishing did not mean a nice day on a beach or on a lake. To the disciples, it meant survival. It was their livelihood. When I was in the third world Fiji, and during the day I went fishing, the guys fishing along the shore there, and asked them, hey man, where's the good foot? Where are the good fish? And they just look at you. Because they don't understand what you're talking about. You're talking about having fun. They're talking about feeding their family. It's not fun to them. It's not something they do for recreation. It's not something they do to get away from the pressures of life. It is life. That if they do not fish and they do not catch, their family does not eat. And so when Jesus is talking about, I'm going to make you fishers of men, he's not talking about sport fishing. He's talking about survival fishing. He's talking about your survival as a disciple, my survival. He's talking about the survival of the church, man. He's talking about the only way you're going to get that pioneer work off the ground, bud, is you're going to have to understand this is a survival. You better know how to fish and you better know how to catch uh, because if we do not fish and we do not catch, the gospel and discipleship is doomed. If we do not fish and reach people and get them established, then we've lost everything we're living for and everything we're laboring for. See, the bottom line with fishermen, even casual fishermen, you always ask two questions. Did you catch anything? Because if you didn't catch anything, they don't know anything I need because, you know, the fisherman is the guy with the fish, not the big boat and the tackle box, man. The fisherman is the guy that has the fish. So the second thing I ask, what are you using? Because my interest is in catching fish. And so one, if you're not catching anything, I really don't want to, have to hear what you have to say. And if you are catching them, I want to know how in the heck you're doing it. Because I'm interested in catching them and usually eating them. Know what I'm saying? So in fishing for men, I'm not interested in great outreaches that sound wonderful that don't produce anything. Catch anything? Oh, no, man. But you know, we got this really cool idea. It doesn't work at all. But it's a really cool idea. Hey, never has worked, but you know, we do it every year. <laughs> do it every year. It makes us feel, makes our people feel real good, you know. Never works though, but we're going to try it again. The reason is Jesus came, you know, so, you know sometimes you got to step outside the box. And I'll tell you, man, when I was pioneering, you know, pioneer pastor, you know, there are times in prayer you're pulling your hair out of your head and you're saying, make me fruitful lest I die. And you come up with some ideas other than the ones. That's great. Mother Church had some great ideas, but you need to find some ideas for your city and get a hold of God. 
Because each city has a different strategy. The reason is Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The last words, he spoke to the church. Hey, what I want you to do, man, the Holy Ghost is coming and uh, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. You wait right here, man. And when the Holy Ghost comes, you're going to be endued with power. And then I want you to be my witnesses in all the world. I want you to fish. I want you to labor. This is my main thrust. This is why the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost power came to help us get the job done. This is why he did that. These were the last words that he spoke to these people. That should give us some kind of idea. Problem was, Holy Ghost came, witnessed a little bit in Jerusalem, 3,000 got saved, and and then they kind of just sat back. Didn't do anything. Until one day, a guy named Stephen got a wild idea, went out and did a little outreach on his own. Well, there's a concept. Disciples calling outreaches on their own, huh? And he preached in the streets a little bit. They arrested him. They put him on trial and killed him. And the Bible says a great persecution arose out of that little outreach and began to drive them out of the city across the lands. And the Bible says they went everywhere preaching as they are driven out. I want to tell you, this was not an accident. They were sitting around doing nothing, catching nothing. And God said, you know what? I had enough of that. And as soon as Stephen began to move, God began to move, triggered a violent reaction to the gospel, Begin to drive them out to the highways and the hedges, drive them out so that they would witness and do what he told them to do to begin with. Drive them out. And the scripture, you know, what do you, you, don't, you don't have to force people, man, make people fish, force them out, man. There's something wrong with that, man. Pushing and pressing outreaches. I mean, come on. Well, I don't know, man. Listen, I do know what Jesus said when he said, pray ye to the Lord of the harvest that he will thrust and send laborers into the harvest. You know, that's the same word that he used for casting out devils. Did you know that? Same force and same impact. There are times where God has to cast you out of your rut and cast you out of your church and drive you somewhere else in the street to witness just like a devil because you won't move. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners? Pastor Adam back with you again. Just wanted to give you this report that uh, you have been doing a great job of sharing the news of this podcast and continuing to download Uh, episodes on a daily basis. The show has been growing by leaps and bounds. There's more of you listening now than at any other time in the podcast history. So we just want to say thank you once again for tuning in and listening to these anointed sermons. We just want to ask you one thing real quick. If you could do us a favor and leave us a review, especially those of you on Apple devices, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. Uh, We need some five-star reviews, and also uh, if you could leave a few notes in there about what you like best about this podcast would really, really help us. I'm sure that you know somebody who could use a daily podcast to get them through the day. Please make sure you share it with them. And uh, also, uh, we are trying to get our hands on sermons from all across our fellowship. If you've got some good ones to share with us, We'd encourage you to please contact us using the links in the show notes. We'd love to feature your sermons from your church as well. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this sermon. And so... He'll begin to he'll begin to lean on you a little bit. He'll begin to force you a little bit. He'll begin begin to put a little heat on you, or else you will not move. He said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And the context of that, 
is winning souls that there should be if you're a serious man, if you're a disciple, a pioneer pastor, an increasing concern and awareness for the loss, uh, an increasing concern and awareness of what's happening around you, an increasing concern of all how that's going to play out in their lives uh, if you and I are going to be disciples. This is a key to spiritual help, man. So help you, you know, it's keep you from getting caught up in yourself. You know, everyone gets touchy and you need to be ministered to that need and you be ministered to that need uh, and you have this thing you have to have or you're not recognized like you ought to be. I want to tell you something, soul winning, uh, witnessing, preaching on the streets cures a lot of problems. And when you're soul winners, all of a sudden, no longer big hassles are big hassles. If you're laboring, if you're obeying God, if you're involved at being a witness, dealing with people, working with people, caught up in the ebb and the flow and the wonder of that, then all of a sudden, a lot of problems that you used to have, you just don't have time to mess with. Because they were all caught, when you're all caught up in yourself, oh, they're real big, man. But when you get caught up with someone else, uh, and they're, you know, they're pretty small, things can wait. Uh, you don't have to worry about them anymore. It's a challenge of discipleship. is a challenge to win. I want to close and talk to you about the execution. As Pastor Warner said, the mark of real disciple is action. Now, I don't care what you know, how many verses you memorized. You know, God bless you. But the real mark of a disciple is somebody who's actually doing something. Now, I get tired of these outreaches and street meetings. uh, And you ever had the religious people come up to you and just get absolutely crazy? How dare you be out here? I'm a Christian, and how dare you represent God like that? The bloody Jesus. How dare you? You know, I I turn, how dare you do nothing? How dare you do nothing? Here, show me. Yeah, how we preach, confront. How many know evangelism is confrontational? And this just bugs religious people. But you know, the real mark of a disciple is action. And it's amazing how many disciples have these ideals, but they never do anything. Daniel said this. As you read the text, the people who do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. But you'll find in the King James, in the course of translation, uh, uh, straight into the English language, you'll find words uh, that are in italics because they're not in the original language. And so they put them there to kind of make the scripture flow better uh, and get a better idea of what's happening there, but it's not really in the original, and that's true in this particular verse. Uh, the word exploits is not really there. It's in italics if you look, and so it actually says, the people that know their God shall be strong and do shall do. The people that know their God will be strong and they're going to do something. They're going to be strong. They're going to be taking action and doing some things, uh, acting on things because uh, real faith is expressed in action. Faith without works is dead, the Bible says. Uh, That's what gives life to faith is genuine action. You read about the Lord Jesus. Men, they come. They tore the roof off this house. That's pretty radical. They lowered their friend down through the roof and through the house. And the Bible says very distinctively, when he saw their faith. When he saw their faith. Because faith is action, is something to you, you do. It's not, you know, giving a mental assent to a body of doctrine or a mental assent to a body of truth. Real faith is actually you moving out on what he says and doing something. That's what faith is about. You see, this call to discipleship is a call and a commitment for you and I to take some action. 
He said unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed. They immediately put into practice. They immediately acted on what they heard. They're laboring there. And he says, follow me. They said, don't take time to beach the boat. Don't take time to fold up the nets. We're out of here. They straightway begin to follow him, immediately begin to do what he said, immediately begin to take some action. They didn't wait around. Uh, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should be able to know some more things and, you know, and, and uh, become a little bit more mature because, you know, when we're a little bit more mature and memorize some stuff, you know, and we know a few more things and a little bit more instructed, well, then we can respond. Well, I want to tell you how maturity comes. It comes when you follow in obedience. That's when you begin to mature. When you hear what he says, you begin to obey, and it is, it is in the process of following and obeying that your life begins to mature. And because of you actually doing something, you learn 10 times more than somebody who's memorizing the playbook, sitting on the sidelines, sitting in the stands, watching on television. Yep, there's a play. I recognize every one of them, by golly. Yep, I recognize that. The guy on the field knows 50 times more than the sideline spectator who's memorizing all all the players memorizing all the numbers, all the stats. Uh, it's the one who's actually on the field that's a football player. He's the one that knows what's going on. There's a great danger for you and I as disciples that we garner a lot of knowledge without taking any action on it. Our culture, we think simply knowing enough is knowing something is all you need. That's good enough. You don't need to do anything. All you need to know is know some stuff. That knowledge is simply an end to itself. You know, they have this term in the Bay Area, it's called professional students. What they do is they went to school, they got the grades, and they applied for some more free grants to pay rent. And so they go to school, they get the grades, and they're people that spend their whole life in school, and they never do a constructive thing their whole stinking life. They get the loan, go to school. Get the loan, go to school. They go for the rest of their lives, and they never do anything. And when they run out of stuff on one subject, well, here we go, just right on on to another. And there they go again. A lot of disciples are like that. Been around them all the time. They never put into practice anything they know. I can spend 30 minutes with someone, and then they'll say, I knew you were going to say that. What does that mean? You, knew, I, you know, I knew you were going to say that. I told my wife I didn't want to come because I knew you were going to say that. Well, well, if you knew what I was going to say, knucklehead, why don't you do what you know to do? But see, I mean, where's the misconnection? You know what I mean? It's, it's like, you know all this, you know all this stuff, but you won't do anything. Gee, Pastor, that's the same thing you told me the last time I was here. Uh-huh. <laughs> what a waste of time to be told something you already know, but you won't put into practice. Now it doesn't make sense, man, telling you something you already know, but you're not gonna do. I mean, what is that all about? You ever had God slam you about something? And it's like, oh, he told me that a long time ago. Several times. I bet you I could say one, one word and get us all ready. Prayer. Well, that about does it, huh? Yep, yep. It's like, oh, yeah, prayer. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, I said I would. Yeah, that sermon. Yeah, started. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, pastor. I tell him I'm going to see him in the morning in prayer meetings. But yeah, or oh, yeah, prayer, yeah. Witness. Preach in the streets, witness on the, read your, tithe. Now, I'm called to preach, I'm, I'm, you know, I, these guys are called to preach, it blows my mind. I, I, you know, discipleship, and uh, when I was, got birthed into this fellowship, man, listen, you know, if you're called to preach, I don't understand, people that say they're called to preach, they don't make outreaches because they choose work, 
over Saturday impact teams. I never see them bring one coworker to church. They don't have any relationship with new converts. They, they don't read their Bible, so they have nothing to impart. They never make prayer me- meetings. And it's like, you know, pioneer pastor, let me tell you, pr- prayer meetings and, and you know, it, it's, it's, it's action. It's something you have to do. You ever had God slam you about something? Treat your wife like a human being. Oh, yeah, she said that too. Yeah. She, she said she might even start loving me. You know, that's a, wow, yeah. You see what I mean? It's not that we don't know, is it? It's not that we don't know. It, it's that we won't do. Well, I, I knew. Well, what's the problem? You know, we kind of got this information overload. You know, we got a lot more. You know, life has really become complex here on earth. And I was thinking, when I was a child, I think television maybe had six channels, if you could get them. And they were on, you know, and they were on during the day. Today, it's like over 200 channels. Oh, honey, honey, what are we going to watch? And by the time you figure out what you're going to watch, you have to start over again. And it's over because it's an hour later. And so nobody really watches TV anymore. All they do is surf. Bam, 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 bam. Restaurants, they have menus that look like a book, 17 pages of stuff. You know, you can't even make up your mind. It's like, now I'll just have a salad, please. Okay, all right, Cobb salad, chef salad, taco salad, dinner salad, Chinese salad. Or we have our salad bar, which is about 50 yards long with stuff you never even heard of. Books, man, you can read a book to help your marriage along. You can go to the bookstore and you can get, you know, mature man, spiritual man, macho man. You can get whatever kind of man you want. You get, you get books on prayer, man, prevailing in prayer, staying in prayer, travailing in prayer, weapon of prayer, overcoming in prayer, dominating in prayer. You can get, you can get them when all you need to do is pray. <laughs> Discipleship is really simple. I mean, this isn't a heavy sermon. Be doers of the word, not just hearers, deceiving your own self. Just do something. That's what it means to be a disciple. Jesus said, follow me. He's moving, and he expects you just not to sit there and count his strides. He expects you to get up out of your seat, begin to follow him, and to follow him with all your heart. I want to tell you, man, knowledge without action is a horrible thing. Knowledge without action leads to pride. Bible says, you know, knowledge puffeth up, you know, like a toad. No, I know all these things. You know what? Not one person really cares what you know. Think about it. What will they do? Will they stand before God? I knew all these things. You know what he'll say? Well, then, why didn't you do something? Why, why did you not do this? And why did you not do that? And why did you leave that? You knew. Yes, Lord. I knew all things. Knowledge brings condemnation if you don't act. Because you always know what you should be doing and you're not doing. And you're always thinking, God, I should have done. Oh, God, I should have done. See, the quality of your discipleship is going to be determined by the length of your straightway. What I mean is what you choose to put into practice and when you choose to put it into action. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He said, if you'll continue in my word, it does not mean if you will continue to read my word. That, does, that means if you will begin to put into practice, uh, if you will continually do, then you will be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and it will make you free. That's why we have altar calls. 
We don't have altar calls to relieve your guilt, uh, you know, relieve guilt momentarily before you get out the door so more can get on you. No, it gives you an opportunity to say, God, I have not been doing, but I hear what you're saying, and I'm going to make a commitment, and I'm going to start do, and I'm going to stop do, and the case may be, you know what? I'm going to make a commitment that I'm going to obey, I'm going to respond, and I'm going to do something. Now, this is a secret of real motivation. You know, you ever hear people say, I know what to do, Pastor, but I just can't seem to motivate myself. Sounds like motivation is a secret mystical thing, you know. How do I, how do I motivate myself, you know? I've, 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 read, I've read books, you know. How do, I, how, do I, how do I motivate myself, you know? It's like this weird mystical thing, man, like we're, like we're waiting for the right feeling, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, oh, I got the right feeling. I'm motivated, oh, oh. Jesus said, if you know these things, if you know these things, hey, I'm going to want to be happy. I just want to be happy. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Not happy if you know them. Miserable are you if you know them. Puffed up and dumb pride if you know them. He said, happy are you if you do them. If you know these things and do these things, it's going to make you really happy. The Bible talks about the 70 that were sent out and it says they returned with joy. I mean, I'll kind of suggest that maybe they didn't go out with a whole lot of joy. You know, because Jesus said, I want you to go to places you've never been. I want you to tell people that you do not know, hostile people, about a Christ that is coming that they have never seen. I'll be along later. Oh, great, man. This will be fun. The Bible says they came back rejoicing because even the devils were subject to them. I don't think they went out with any great amount of joy, but they came back with a great amount of joy because they did what they were told to do, whether they felt like doing it or not. You see, the problem, listen, I'll tell you, the problem we have in discipleship, basically, is that we are just bone lazy. Now, I understand salvation is a gift, but you know what? If you're going to have anything else, it requires some discipline. It requires some action. You know, a guy goes to this Christian psychotherapist. He's got major problems. He's in depression. He calls a friend. You know, he says, hey, man, pick me up. Desperately need to see my Christian psychotherapist. I cannot miss my appointment. And, you know, and so friend says, all right, I can take you, but i got to stop somewhere along the way. I work in this hospital for the elderly. i got to stop there, and then I'll take you when I'm done. So he goes, he gets picked up by this man, goes to the hospital, he kind of gets caught up, you know, he starts talking to these old people, uh, he starts reading the Bible because they can't see, you know, uh, he starts praying with someone, all of a sudden, he's filled with joy. He arrives at the Christian therapist, uh, he tells the therapist, this has been the most wonderful day, I'm so filled with joy, and the therapist says, you know, sounds like you found the answer to your problem, if you just kind of get out of yourself. The guy says, well, you don't expect me to do that every day. That's how we are. No, no, that's how we are. Things begin to kick. God kicks us into gear and it's, hey man, this is great, this is wonderful. And then we drift back into oblivion and just kind of never do anything again. It's exactly what we do. Yeah, I, I tried that once. Yeah, I witnessed one time. Got really scared. Never going to do that again, man. Read, 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 read my Bible once too, man. I lived for God a whole week one time, man. You know, you know if you're going to be a disciple, it means that you do. Well, pastor, I, I, thought, I thought God would kind of do a miracle. You know, I'm called to preach. Won't he just kind of make it happen for me? Probably not. He did a miracle by at least making you pay attention. 
if you're going to be a disciple, you must do. And here he is, man. He's holding out this promise for you and I to become. And I want to tell you, brother, if you are content, pioneer pastor, if you are content with where you are right now, and and I say this with kindness, you have a very pathetic life. I can say that without knowing anything about your life. If you are content with where you are and nothing draws you and nothing moves you, man, you're living a very small, burnt out, wrapped up in yourself life. And the promise of disciple is, is that we can become everything that he's intended us for become, but only if we'll follow and only if we'll obey. And so here Jesus is, uh, he's holding out to us the possibility of becoming, the genuine possibility of becoming all that he intended us to be, that, 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 that source of nagging down in your heart, man. He says, you know what? You can do better than this, man. You can do more than this. You can have more. You can do more. You can accomplish more because he's put that in all of us to achieve, to become. I don't care what you do. I mean, you can try to fulfill it any way you want. I don't care. You can get caught up in a job. You can get find dignity in your job. It will not work. You can take every unrighteous path in the world. But I want to tell you, listen, to me this, this, this morning, if you don't follow him, you'll never be satisfied. I don't care what you know. doesn't matter what you know. Knowing is not enough. It's time straightway, drop what we're doing, do what he says. Not next week, not next month, not soon and very soon. Right now. Right now, man. Some of you men, you know, some of you, you, uh, you, you said, God, I'm going to do what you said. That's all there is to it, man. You said what you want. This is what I'm doing. You've spoken to me. That's it. I'm going. I'm doing it. I don't know, but, but to me, when I read my Bible, that's a disciple. Disciple is a man of action. How many want to be a disciple of Jesus? How about you? Let's give God praise as Pastor Campbell comes. Amen. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.